0: Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve, and we are uh, now in the second week of 2024. I hope everybody is now fully uh, back to work or school or wherever after the holiday breaks. Uh, And uh, we're going to get right into... Uh, some political news and some of the things that uh, have occurred over the last week or so. Uh, But first, uh, it it is notable, and I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that uh, this past Saturday, we marked the three-year anniversary of the January 6th insurrection uh, at the uh, Capitol in Washington, D.C., where uh, hundreds of people uh, broke into the Capitol building, um, roamed the halls, destroyed property, uh, built gallows in the in the uh, front lawn, and uh, you know, chanted uh, looking for uh, former Speaker Nancy Pelosi and to hang Mike Pence. And the uh, the the tragic uh, thing of it is we all watched this unfold live and in real time on national television or internet or wherever you get your broadcast news. Uh, And yet here we are three weeks later and we have uh, people out there both uh, within the uh, Congressional Administration and others who say that uh, there wasn't an insurrection. Uh, that you know it was you know just uh, a group of people quote taking a tour. Uh, others are claiming that it was an inside job and that it was staged by uh, take your pick the FBI, Antifa, uh, you know the Democrats, you know whoever you want to lay uh, fictitious blame on. Uh, but at the end of the day. You know, you you have to believe your eyes and realize that what we witnessed that day was uh, a- an attempt uh, that came dangerously close to being successful at you know overturning a free and fair election and also uh, you know uh, undermining perhaps permanently uh, one of the the. Key foundational pillars of our democracy, and that is the peaceful transfer of power from one administration to another, and the uh, value and effect of the vote of the people in determining who our elected leaders are. So you know we we mark three years uh, since that day. Uh, since then, you know the the wheels of justice have turned. Uh, perhaps not as fast as we'd like, but they have continued to turn. Uh, more than 1,200 people, I believe, have been charged in connection with the events of January 6th. Uh, I, you know, several hundred of them uh, have been sentenced to jail terms ranging from uh, probation or a few days or a week up to, uh, you know, 18 years for the leaders of some factions of the insurrection. And we now are approaching the time when the uh, trials related to the insurrection uh, are moving toward getting started. Uh, we have seen in, in the past week, and we'll talk about a little bit more uh, in, in this broadcast, as well as uh, some other subjects, uh, we've seen... You know, the expected appeals uh, come forward. Uh, we have seen uh, the first uh, case uh, revolving around the disqualification of the former president, uh, Donald Trump, from uh, the ballots in um, Colorado and in Michigan. Uh, well, the Colorado case has been appealed and um, just this past week. The Supreme Court announced that it will hear the arguments with regard to uh, whether or not Colorado can, in fact, remove uh, the former president from the ballot. Uh, According to the information I've seen so far, um, preparations for uh, uh, briefs to be delivered to the court uh, by uh, both sides are underway. And oral arguments are slated to begin on, and basically are slated to happen on February 8th. Now, sources are saying that given the nature uh, of the, the case being brought and the, uh, the elections coming up, it's expected that the Supreme Court's going to expedite uh, their processing of this, and we could see. Uh, decision handed down from uh, from them uh, as soon as the end of February. So we will we will keep an eye out for that and let you know what transpires. But you know we couldn't uh, you know start this show without taking notice of the fact that three years ago on the sixth of January uh, a a group was uh, you know allegedly motivated to go to the capitol to protest. Uh, That protest became violent. And uh, as an end result, uh, more than 140 uh, law enforcement officers were injured. And five uh, ended up uh, dying as a direct result of the attack or succumbed to injuries uh, received. So, you know, that was a, a dark day. We all watched it, and it still amazes me how some people, having seen it, uh, can in fact turn around and then deny that it it really happened uh, the way that we saw it. So we'll keep you posted on that. Uh, The other uh, piece of of news that came out, uh, as I mentioned, the Supreme Court is going to take up the case uh, of uh, the state of Colorado versus Donald Trump in terms of his removal. And the upshot of that is if the Supreme Court uh, upholds the lower court ruling that you know the former president is in fact ineligible because of his role and participation in the lead up to the insurrection and, um, you know, violation of Article 3 of the 14th Amendment, uh, that law is going to impact uh, many other states across the country. There are at least 12, according to the latest information I have, uh, that uh, are either in the process of filing uh, similar charges or have filed and are waiting to hear the Supreme Court results. So, if the Supreme Court upholds Uh, what happened in Colorado there are at least uh, 12 or 13 other states that are positioned to pretty much immediately move to take the same uh, approach and you know eliminate uh, or ban uh, the former president from appearing on the primary ballot Uh, and you know keep in mind that we are talking about the primary ballots should, and, and all indications are that he is you know, the presumptive nominee of the Republican Party for 2024, should he go to the, uh, the, the main election ballot, uh, the same rule uh, can be applied and potentially he could be uh, eliminated from more than just the current uh, dozen or so states that have actions pending in this regard. Uh, he potentially uh, could be eliminated from uh, the national um, election ballot uh, nationwide. Uh, in any event, uh, the the possibility exists that this would impact the amount of electoral votes that uh, the former president could uh, potentially receive. So it, it's going to be a crazy, uh, wild. Uh, process as we see all of this unfold over the next, you know, eight weeks or so. So it remains to be seen. Also, reminder that uh, as of at least this broadcast, uh, the first trial uh, of the former president, which is scheduled to begin, I believe, on uh, March 4th, uh, that trial is still on the docket for that date. Although that date may in fact slip, so it's still kind of fluid. Uh, in any event, uh, it's got me to thinking. You know, there, there have been a a boatload of uh, print media words and broadcast minutes and podcasts and uh, all all kinds of uh, media coverage of you know what would transpire. If uh, Donald Trump actually did uh, win the election and return to the White House as the 47th president, um, it, it you know there there have been a lot of talk about that, and and I really wanted to look at the counter argument and basically uh, ask the question: What would happen if Donald Trump is? the Republican nominee for president, and he loses, uh, you know, uh, ostensibly to the incumbent president, Joe Biden, uh, for the second time. What would happen uh, in, in this country if that could happen? So I did some research and even went out and uh, used my uh, AI assistant to uh, kind of ask the question. Uh, and I'll start with that one. Because it, it does kind of lead out to the other things that I want to talk about. So I asked my AI, if Donald Trump loses the 2024 election, what would be potential the potential outcome? And it replied, and, and I'll read it to you. If Donald Trump loses the 2024 election, several outcomes are possible based on histor- historical data and current political trends. Number one. There'd be political shifts within the Republican Party. And it said, if Trump loses, it could lead to a shift in the Republican Party's strategy and candidate selection. Uh, It uh, added, some Republicans and right-leaning voters are not sold on Trump's 2024 presidential bid. There's a growing preference for other potential candidates, like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and I would add in... uh, uh, Former Ambassador Nikki Haley and and others. Number two, the impact on Trump's influence. A loss could potentially diminish Trump's influence within the Republican Party. Uh, His support has declined due to significant midterm losses and courtroom setbacks. So you know it it would you know just be another suppression suppression excuse me uh, of. Uh, the impact of the former president uh, over the Republican Party. Uh, I will take that one with a grain of salt. Uh, historical president, precedent. Historically, candidates who lose an election and then seek a rematch usually face significant hurdles. Fewer than a quarter of rematches for the Senate and governor since 1950 have gone the way of the candidates who lost the first races. So, you know, the, the translation of that, uh, you know, is the odds are not in favor uh, of a repeat uh, performance uh, by someone who lost uh, their seat initially and then sought to regain it. And then the fourth one, and I, I do want to talk about this one a little bit more and we'll deal with that um, further down in, in the program, uh, potential legal scenario. And it cites, there is a legal scenario called a contingent election where Trump could lose the popular vote, lose the electoral college, lose all his legal cases, and still end up president of the United States. It goes on to cite, however, this is a rare and complex scenario. So we're going to put a pin in that, that last one because we're going to come back to it and, and talk about it some more in a few minutes. Um, continuing, uh, the Washington Post had an article specifically about uh, you know, what if Trump loses. Uh, it was uh, posted December 11th, and you know, it, it starts out with, okay, the big idea. Okay, but what if Trump loses in twenty twenty four? You know, and it, it cites you know what I just said. The surge of reporting on you know a Trump victory has been all over the media, but there have been scarce and few uh, articles or discussions about what would happen if he loses. So, according to the Washington Post, uh, and and I'll I'll kind of summarize it because it, it's um. It's a pretty pretty hefty article. Uh, it's an interesting and important piece about the electoral landscape heading into 2024, hinging on a scheme that was central to his failed efforts to overthrow President Biden's victory uh, in in 2020. And also, you know, it uh, was a uh, answer to a scenario posted that uh, several uh, reporters who were studying the matter uh, said they found it uh, extremely harder in 2024 for Donald Trump to enlist fake electors. uh, People to formally say he carried a state where his opponent was certified the winner. So essentially they're saying that trick isn't going to work a second time around. Uh, But they do mention that it stands out in a wave of recent Uh, Articles that have laid out what Trump plans to do if he wins next year, such as weaponizing the powers of the presidency. And we've talked about this uh, a couple of shows back, uh, including the military and the Justice Department against his domestic opponents and critics, as well as past aides who have turned against him. It cites if he wins that, um, you know, among other things, The former president and his advisers and supporters have sketched out an authoritarian vision for a second term, turning the Justice Department into a weapon with which to assail his critics and political opponents aggressively, using the military inside America's borders, turning independent agencies into de facto extensions of presidential power, and purging career civil servants insufficiently committed to enacting his agenda. He's also called for the, the, quote, termination of the Constitution, promised his supporters he will be their, quote, retribution, close quote, and denounced opponents as, quote, vermin, language that experts on fascism said echoes that of Adolf Hitler and Benito Mussolini. Uh, In an article in New York Times, Peter Baker recently captured uh, the moment uh, this way. When a historian, and this is a quote from uh, Peter Baker, when a historian wrote an essay the other day warning the election of former President Donald J. Trump next year could lead to a dictatorship, one of Mr. Trump's allies quickly responded by calling for the historian to be sent to prison. So you know, digest that for a second. Uh, where have we seen you know, responses like that? Okay, uh, We've seen it in Viktor Orban's uh, Turkey. We see, we see it in Vladimir Putin's Russia. We see it in uh, Kim Jong-un's North Korea. So the, the parallels are, are being drawn. And these are not new. Uh, in another article from the Washington Post, and this one from back in November of uh, last year, uh, it's uh, titled, Trump and Allies Pro- Plot Revenge, Justice Department Control in a Second Term. And in this article, uh, you know, Trump and his allies have begun mapping out specific plans for using the federal government to punish critics and opponents should he win a second term with the former president naming individuals he wants to investigate or prosecute, and his associates drafting plans to potentially invoke the Insurrection Act on his first day in office to allow him to deploy the military against civil demonstrations. Uh, According to the article, in private, Trump has told advisors and friends in recent months that he wants the Justice Department to investigate one-time officials and allies who have become critical of his time in office, including his former Chief of Staff John Kelly, former Attorney General William Barr, as well as his ex-attorney Ty Cobb, and former Joint Chiefs of Staff General Mark Milley. Uh, And... um, Trump has also talked of prosecuting officials at the FBI and Justice Department, uh, a person familiar with the matter said. In public, Trump has vowed to appoint a special prosecutor to go after President Biden and his family. The former president has frequently made corruption accusations against them that are not supported by available evidence. And we know from current events that the uh, impeachment inquiry uh, currently uh, underway in the House uh, has yet to uncover any credible or provable evidence of any uh, corruption uh, tied to President Joe Biden. Uh, To to facilitate Trump's ability to direct Justice Department actions, His associates have been drafting plans to dispense with 50 years of policy and practice intended to shield criminal prosecutions from political considerations. Critics have called such ideas dangerous and unconstitutional. Uh, One of the other uh, snippets from this this second article is uh, Trump campaign spokesman Stephen Chung uh, did not answer questions about specific actions under discussion. Uh, his response, quote, President Trump is focused on crushing his opponents in the primary election and then going on to beat crooked Joe Biden, close quote. Uh, Chung said, quote, President Trump has always stood for law and order and protecting the Constitution. Um, didn't he say that he wanted to terminate the Constitution? Just asking." Uh, The lesson the former president learned from his first term, and this is according to John Kelly, uh, is, don't put guys like me in these jobs, Kelly said. The lesson he learned was to find sycophants. Trump's core group of West Wing advisors for a second term is widely expected to include Stephen Miller, the architect of Trump's hardline immigration policies, including family separation, and I'd add in, in uh, shooting uh, migrants attempting to illegally cross the border, uh, who has gone on to challenge Biden administration policies in court through a conservative organization called America First Legal. Uh, alumni uh, have also saved lists of previous appointees who would not be welcome in a second Trump administration as well as career officers they viewed as uncooperative and would seek to fire based on an executive order to weaken civil service protections uh, he uh, put forward a um, uh, employment category F uh, that would do that in the last week of his administration and should he get you know, a second term he would resurrect that. Uh, for other appointments Trump would be able to draw on lineups of personnel prepared by uh, Project 2025, which we have talked about. Um, allowing applicants uh, to, uh, to enter their uh, resumes into a database uh, to a similar to a, a, quote, conservative LinkedIn. Allowing them to present their resumes on public profiles. While also providing a shared workspace for Heritage Foundation and partner organizations to vet the candidates and make recommendations. Uh, And finally, the the final quote is, we don't want careerists. We don't want people who are uh, opportunists. We want conservative warriors. So, you know, that I think paints a a pretty uh, accurate picture And, uh, you know, Trump himself has, you know, double, tripled and quadrupled down on these uh, intentions in his public statements uh, throughout uh, his campaign. Uh, So to go back to the first article, because it raises the the second side of this issue. Uh, And the answer to the question of what if he wins uh, seems uniquely urgent. But, the article asks, what if he loses? That question has overshadowed its mirror image. What if Trump loses again? Uh, In 2020, Trump attacked the integrity of the election, falsely claiming for months, and still claiming to this day, that he was cheated out of a second term. These baseless allegations helped fuel rage among some of his supporters, anger that powered the January 6th riot at the Capitol. That violence an unprecedented interruption of the peaceful transfer of power in America looms large over the question of what happens if Biden wins re-election. How would Trump respond this time? The former president has promised to pardon the January 6th rioters and give them a formal government apology. Uh, He has raised funds for those who have been convicted and imprisoned. He has labeled them, quote, American patriots, close quote, who are being arrested and held in captivity like animals. This is the opposite of repudiating the insurrectionists who ransacked the Capitol and assaulted police there. The rioters have become central to his rhetoric about 2024. Uh, The article also states uh, the looming threat of violence, and it, it goes on to state, If Trump loses next year, he won't be the incumbent president who he was in 2020, debating about the federal government seizing voting machines, reportedly entertaining conversations about imposing martial law, and using the presidential megaphone to convince his supporters that rampant voter fraud stole a second term from him. Uh, And that's, you know, again, the article goes on, and that's not the only one talking this way. Uh, And it, it cites, if Trump's legal problems help Biden defeat him, former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee has said, next year is going to be the last American election that will be decided by ballots rather than bullets. So, you know, while, while that may seem a very uh, doom and gloomy uh, outlook for the election, uh, I would hazard to say that it is uh, potentially uh, a very real possibility. Um, Donald Trump and his supporters uh, have maintained for more than three years that A, the 2020 election was stolen. Uh, Even though some 61 lawsuits brought were found to be without merit, with no evidence to back them up, and uh, were summarily uh, rejected by appeals courts and even the Supreme Court. Uh, He has claimed that uh, the, the president and his family are quote, corrupt, close quote, even though, as I mentioned previously, no evidence in the ongoing impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden has turned up any credible or provable evidence uh, that uh, there is any link to wrongdoing by the current president. So, you know, we um, we continue to see how the the lies And the fabrications uh, still drive the narrative uh, of uh, Trump and his uh, supporters and allies. And you know, as we will discuss in the second half, uh, we're going to you know look at what we as the voters need to do uh, in order to make sure that a uh, a similar situation is. Uh, not going to happen or is uh, minimized in its possibility for the 2024 election. And I will say right at the front, that is not going to be an easy task. So, you know, it's clear that, you know, this coming election is going to be more contentious than 2020 or 2022. uh, And it remains to be seen whether, you know, you know, currently Donald Trump, the presumptive Republican nominee for president, uh, will uh, garner you know the the support he needs in order to return to the Oval Office uh, in you know January of 2025. Um, and you know, it, it is up to us, the voters, to exercise you know our votes. Uh, to make sure that, you know, if, if we believe that Trump is wrong uh, to be president of the United States, that we exercise our vote to make that into a reality. So, you know, it, it's like I said uh, last week and like I've been saying for quite a while, um, strap in people. It is going to be a rough roller coaster ride this year. Uh, we're already seeing the handwriting on the wall of just how, um, how desperate the you know, Trump and his MAGA faithful and, and the ultra-right conservative parties uh, are determined to return to power and consolidate that power. So we'll, uh, we'll continue this uh, right after the break. You're listening to the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media, and we'll be right back after this break. Hey there, America. This is Stephen Bowles, host of the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media. And full disclosure, I am a type 2 diabetic, so this is something that's more than just a subject for discussion for me. It's personal. We will look at what's being done along with what needs to be done by our elected leaders to combat this chronic and potentially deadly disease. So let's begin with a little background in layman's terms. No medical terms here, folks. Diabetes is a chronic medical condition where your body struggles to manage the levels of sugar, specifically glucose, in your blood. Here's a simple way to understand it. Imagine your body is a car engine, and glucose is the fuel. Normally insulin, which is a hormone produced by your pancreas, acts like a key, opening up cells so they can take in glucose to use as energy. But with diabetes, there is a problem with the key, and that's insulin. Type 1 diabetes, your body doesn't produce enough keys, meaning not enough insulin. This is usually something that you're born with. In type 2 diabetes, the locks on the cells become rusty. In other words, your body doesn't respond to insulin as well as it should, and eventually, the pancreas might not be able to keep up with the demand for insulin. This type usually develops over many years and is more common in adults, but can occur at any age. When there's not enough insulin, or cells stop responding to insulin, too much sugar stays in your bloodstream, which can cause health problems over time, such as heart disease, vision loss, and kidney disease. There's also a condition called prediabetes, where blood sugar levels are higher than normal, but not high enough to be classified as diabetes type 2. Without intervention, pre-diabetes is likely to become type 2 diabetes in 10 years or less. And then there's gestational diabetes, which some women develop during pregnancy. This usually goes away after the baby is born, but it can increase the risk of developing diabetes later in life for both mother, mother and child. Now, while there's no current cure for diabetes, it can be managed with lifestyle changes like maintaining a healthy weight, eating well, staying active, and taking prescribed medications. With proper care and treatment, it is possible to live a near-normal to normal life with diabetes. We will examine diabetes, what it means for me, and what it can mean for you. I hope that you will keep it locked on WJMS Media and the Fired Up podcast podcast. For more information on this issue. And welcome back. Welcome back to the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media. So let's uh, kind of recap uh, one thing that I talked about at the top of the first segment. Remember, I mentioned that I had uh, consulted with my AI and asked them about uh, what would happen if Donald Trump lost the 2024 election. And uh, the fourth option it gave me, and, and I'll reread it, uh, was a potential legal scenario. And it said there is a legal scenario called a contingent election where Trump could lose the popular vote, lose the electoral college, lose all his legal cases, and still end up president of the United States. Uh, it cited, however, this is a rare and complex scenario. So, uh, I asked you to stick a pin in that and that we would return to it. So, let's, uh, let's talk about this uh, contingent election uh, proposition. In an article uh, written in The Guardian, actually uh, more than three months ago, uh, it was written in September, uh, talking about this uh, contingent election. And uh, it uh, goes into say... Uh, in ordinary time, under ordinary political conditions, the specter of another Trump presidency would be strictly the stuff of nightmares. Uh, it cites the 40 criminal charges that he's facing uh, regarding classified documents, the 34 felony counts of falsifying business records, and uh, also the uh, second defamation lawsuit uh, filed by E. Jean Carroll, uh about Uh, revolving around uh, statements that he made right after he lost the first defamation lawsuit uh, filed by E. Jean Carroll. Uh, The article cites, you know, the American people can be awfully forgiving. Uh, You know, it cites Joe Biden and Donald Trump are effectively tied uh, nationally, uh, that Trump is well out in front of the other Uh, Republican hopefuls uh, in the race and, you know, uh, and so forth. And then it cites this uh, way that uh, Donald Trump could actually become the president of the United States, even if he didn't win the popular vote, uh, did not win, you know, the necessary votes in the electoral college, and all of the ensuing legal cases uh, were decided against him. And it's, it's this thing I mentioned called a contingent election. Uh, the definition, uh, contingent election, is the process put in place to deal with the eventuality at which no presidential candidate reaches the threshold of 270 votes in the electoral college. Uh, in the early days of the American Republic, when the duopoly of two-party system was neither desired nor expected, this process was essential. Uh, It cites that there have been two of them in American history. The first uh, involved uh, Andrew Jackson in 1825 and he had won the plurality of votes and a plurality of Electoral College votes as well but after extensive elaborate negotiations uh, John Quincy Adams took the presidency mostly by offering Henry Clay who had come in third in the election, Secretary of State. Um, so, you know, the the idea here is that if no uh, candidate gets to 270 votes, uh, potentially through the inclusion of third-party candidates uh, in the race that siphon off uh, votes from either or uh, both of the Uh, the Democratic and Republican candidates that it would go to this contingent election. The article talks about the possibility of the Electoral College releasing a confusing result or being unable to certify a satisfying result by two months after the election, and that being quite real. The Electoral College, even at its best, according to the article, is an arcane system unworthy of a 21st century country. There have been, up to 2020, 165 uh, what are called faithless electors in American history, and those are electors who didn't vote for the candidate they had pledged to vote for. Uh, For example, in 1836 uh, Virginia faithless electors forced a contingent election for vice president If the 270 marker has not been reached by the 6th of January, the contingent election takes place automatically. And the contingent election isn't decided by popular votes or the number of electoral college votes. The way it works is each state delegation in the House of Representatives is given a single vote for president. Each state delegation in the Senate is given a single vote for vice president. The basic unfairness of this process is obvious. So, if you take California with 52 representatives and Texas with 38 representatives, which would have the same say in determining the presidency as Wyoming and Vermont, which have one apiece. State delegations in the House would favor Republicans as a matter of course. In the struggle for congressional delegates, Republicans would have 19 safe house delegations and Democrats would have 14 as it stands with more states leaning Republican than with Democrat. And it should be noted that with the ouster of uh, George Santos and the resignation of um, McCarthy, uh, that's actually down to 17 So Republicans would have 17 uh, delegates and Democrats would have 14. So a little bit closer margin. All that would be required, the article states, from a technical legal standpoint is for enough electoral college votes to be uncounted or uncertified for the contingent election to take place. Virtually guaranteeing a Republican victory and hence a Trump presidency. It would be entirely legal and constitutional. It just wouldn't be recognizably democratic to anyone. Remember that autocracies have elections. It doesn't matter who votes. It matters who counts. So this is uh, eerily similar to what we saw transpire on January 6, three years ago. And think about it this way. If... Two hundred and seventy votes cannot be accomplished by either candidate. This contingent election kicks in automatically. So, one of the other things that could have happened should uh, Vice President Mike Pence, uh, at the time, uh, declared the votes from one or more states uh, to the, or rather, the electors from one or more states to be uh, illegitimate and sent the vote back to the states, this is the process that we would have ended up with. Each state, rather than the the plurality of representatives and and electors they have, each state gets one vote. And since the Republicans hold a majority in the House and and held it by an even larger margin uh, in 2020, uh, the Republican candidate, Donald Trump, would have been named as president and as the article says it would have been legal and constitutional because the process is constitutionally defined so you know give that some consideration the the level of, of gamesmanship and brinksmanship that was in play in 2020 uh, could easily be in play and amplified in 2024 uh, so you know there's a scenario that you know Republicans and Democrats can play for the win or they can play for you know a tie and when you throw in third-party candidates in the mix that could siphon off votes from both sides the reality of neither side getting to 270 and thereby throwing the election uh, to the House of Representatives uh, becomes a very real possibility. Uh, It it is something we need to be aware of and we need to take into account when we are voting. So that if you are neither uh, in the Democratic camp or in the Republican camp and are deciding to consider one of the the several third-party candidates uh, that are out there, you know, whether it's uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. or it's Cornell West or it's Jill Stein, um, just be aware that how those votes break down and how those electors get designated could have an, an exactly unexpected end result, in that uh, it could end up. Turning the vote toward, uh, in this case, since they control the House, the Republican candidate, Donald Trump, uh, who would become president by the election of the House. So, you know, the the upshot here is um, this is proof positive uh, even more just how important your vote is. Uh, Consider it carefully. Think about it fully and recognize that even if you are voting for a third party candidate because you don't like Donald Trump and you don't like Joe Biden, you could end up with Donald Trump as the president if neither Democrat nor Republican get to 270. So, you know, it, it's it's a long shot. Absolutely. But it is a real possibility. So, you know, it it just paints that picture even brighter of how important it is that, you know, everybody who is eligible to vote gets out and executes their vote on Election Day. Um, You know, I I don't care who you who you vote for, per se, but just be aware that if you throw your vote um, away from. The, the Democrat, a Republican candidate and go instead with a third party, uh, you could end up with the president. You don't want, you know, almost you know either way you slice it um, and, you know, that would lead to more people in the camp of believing that their vote doesn't count. Well, this is proof positive that your vote does count. And why you need to vote wisely, you know. As I said, I'm not advocating one side over the other. Um, I'm just saying you need to make sure that you are out there and that you are participating. So, um, all right, let's um, let's get back into um, what we were talking about previously, and you know that is you know what uh, the effect of uh, Donald Trump running for you know the the presidency again and losing again. Uh, what could we expect from that? Well, you know we saw what happened in 2020. Uh, I would I would estimate that the reaction in 2024 is going to be what we saw you know three years ago on mega steroids. Uh, it, it is, you know, there are people out there who are actually talking about civil war over the outcome of the 2024 uh, presidential election. So, you know, it, it is very, very important that we are out and voting and in, in as, as massive numbers as we can uh, to make sure that our voices are heard and that we are overcoming any Attempts at you know, disenfranchisement, uh, voter suppression, uh, voter intimidation, and so forth. Uh, it, it is clear that you know, the, the need is great, the responsibility is great, and you know, the potential harm to our country is also great. Now, I, I want to step away from the presidential election for a second. And remind you that as important as the top level positions on the ballot are, and believe me, they are, um, equally, if not more important, is the down ballot. So, you know, if, if you are you know, a Republican, you need to make sure that, you know, you are reviewing your Republican candidates uh, to make sure that they are in alignment with your views. Uh, and that, you know, it, for example, you know, if the candidate in your area is, let's say, an election denier and you are not an election denier, then you need to make sure that you are finding a candidate that matches your criteria and vote for that person. Same thing on the Democratic side. You know, if, you know, the, the Democratic candidate uh, is one that, you know, you, you disagree with, then identify and vote for the Democratic candidate that best fits the way you uh, think and believe. And that's all the way down through Senate, through House of uh, uh, Representatives, down through your governor, through your state uh, Congress people, uh, your state attorneys general, uh, who are, as we've seen in the last, uh, you know, eight or nine or ten years, are playing more and more of an outsized role in our election process because of the powers they have over the the state election process uh, in particular. Not to mention all of the other political uh, issues that we see. And if you uh, need an example of what I mean by that, uh, look at the recent news that you've seen about Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton And, you know, the uh, the the story of I believe her name is Mary Kay, who uh, had had a uh, uh, was pregnant with a uh, baby that was not viable, uh, would have been stillborn and also threatened her health. And the attorney general still refused to allow by force of threatening lawsuits for the medical community to address this uh, emergency uh, termination request, even though the health of the mother was at stake. So, you know, if that's not something that you are in alignment with, then you need to look at who your candidates for attorney general are. You know, if you look at um, all of the, the news that we have reported uh, coming out of Florida uh, with their governor and coming out of Uh, Georgia and coming out of Louisiana and Alabama and North Carolina and South Carolina and on and on and Pennsylvania and Michigan and Utah, all of these states uh, can can be uh, traced back to the impacts of elected officials uh, at various levels from state level to the national level uh, out of those states. So, you know, as we enter into the second week of January in 2024, where we are now uh, a little bit shy of 11 months away from the national election, uh, you should be able to begin to see just how vital and important your individual vote is. Remember... Even though um, you know Joe Biden got uh, almost eight million votes, or maybe a little bit more than eight million votes, more than um, Donald Trump in the 2020 election, uh, in the the popularity side of that, the Electoral College victory that gave him the presidency was decided by fewer than uh, I believe it was. Uh, 43,000 votes, Um, you know, and we have seen that pattern uh, repeat itself presidential cycle over presidential cycle going back at least the last 10 or 15 years or more. So, you know, if somebody's telling you that uh, your vote doesn't matter, it it doesn't count, it absolutely counts. So, you know, here we are It's the second week in January, and I'm already starting my uh, soapbox on making sure you're checking your registration, that you're getting out there, you're bringing your friends, making sure that everybody in your circle, and it doesn't matter, again, if they agree or disagree with you politically, the key is to get out there and vote. Uh, We need to determine who our elected officials are. They need to know how many people uh, are uh, holding them accountable. Uh, and that, that's the bottom line. Uh, you know, get out there and vote. Vote in numbers. Get your people out and let the chips fall where they may. You know, it, if, you know it, if the Democrats win again, so be it. If the Republicans, you know, win um, in, in your area or, you know, in your state uh, or, you know, Congress or Senate or even the presidency. You know, it is what it is. You know, we made that happen. Uh, so, you know, while we may not like the person that ultimately ends up representing us, the key is, is that they need to understand that we put them there and that they are beholden to us. They work for us, the people, not the other way around. And, you know, once we get them into office, as we say on this program all the time, you've got to be in communication with them. You've got to be writing to them. You've got to be calling their office. You've got to be sending them emails. You've got to be hitting up their social media. You know, you've got to let them know that there are eyes on them. And that's what is, is critical as you know, the U.S. election process carries on. So that's the first time you'll you'll hear my get out the vote rant uh, for 2024, but I guarantee you, you can take this to the bank. It will not be the last time you hear it. Want to jump in here and and, uh, take a different turn. Uh, Something came across my news feed uh, while I was was prepping the um, the uh, PSA for the break. And it literally uh, just came out uh, Sunday at 4.40pm that um, House Speaker Mike Johnson and uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer have uh, reached an agreement on a uh, long-term spending bill. Uh, and it, it comes from multiple sources, but I'll, I'll cite the one uh, written by John Bowden of The Independent. Uh, And it says, as I quote, House Republican leadership and their counterparts among the Democratic Senate majority are set to announce a top line deal on spending for the next fiscal year, ending a pattern of short term funding measures that had threatened government shutdowns. The deal, which uh, Speaker of the House Mike Johnson and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer reached on Sunday, Will supposedly include roughly $16 billion in cuts to non defense spending while also providing for a pay increase for service members. Uh, this was first, uh, news was first broke by Axios. Uh, the top line number they're reporting, which was set at $1.59 trillion for the full package that is, for all 12 uh, funding packages that make up the federal budget. Uh, If legislation to fund the government at this level passes before funding deadlines over the next month and a half, it will represent a major victory for the burgeoning speakership of Mr. Johnson, who will achieve what his predecessor, Kevin McCarthy, could not, keeping his caucus unified while passing a long-term government funding bill. Uh, Previous reporting from the Washington Post in December indicated that the House Freedom Caucus, the far-right contingent in the House of Representatives, had signed on to the $1.59 trillion top-line number. That in itself was a significant coup for Mr. Johnson, who had successfully talked the group back from its original goal of $1.47 trillion. The top-line means the funding levels put in place by the Fiscal Responsibility Act, or FRA, last May, uh, legislation championed by the White House and congressional Democratic leaders will remain intact. Cuts to government spending are expected to include some COVID relief and IRS funding. Uh, President Joe Biden issued a statement from Delaware uh, where he was staying for the weekend applauding congressional leaders for not dragging the U.S. through another shutdown battle. He said, quote, the bipartisan funding framework congressional leaders have reached moves us one step closer to preventing a needless government shutdown and protecting important national priorities, said Mr. Biden. I want to thank leaders Schumer and Jeffries for their leadership in reaching this framework. Now, congressional Republicans must do their job. Stop threatening to shut down the government and fulfill their basic responsibility to fund critical domestic and national security priorities, including my supplemental request. It is time for them to act." Uh, The article goes on to say, "'It is no secret that Mr. Johnson, however, was playing under markedly different circumstances than was Mr. McCarthy, the former speaker who lasted less than a year on the job and eventually resigned in utter defeat After vowing not to, at the end of the year, was ousted over the summer in what began a whirlwind of chaos in the lower chamber. Republicans were accused of throwing the federal government into a complete standstill with infighting after a cadre of conservatives unhappy with Mr. McCarthy successfully led a motion to oust him, which ended up being supported by every Democrat in the chamber. As it turned out, Republicans did not have the votes to quickly elect a new speaker and a succession of GOP candidates rose and fell before Mr. Johnson was finally picked as a compromise. Democrats, in a short statement, warned Mr. Johnson and the Republicans on Sunday against attempts to sabotage the deal in the days ahead. Quote, the bipartisan top-line appropriations agreement clears the way for Congress to act act over the next few weeks in order to maintain important funding priorities for the American people and avoid a government shutdown. The framework agreement to proceed will enable the appropriators to address many of the major challenges America faces at home and abroad, said Mr. Schumer and House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries. Finally, we have made it clear to Speaker Mike Johnson that Democrats will not support including poison pill policy changes in any of the 12 appropriations bills put before the Congress. Mr. Johnson has yet to issue a public statement on the funding deal Uh, and again this was as of uh, 4 o'clock on Sunday. I have not yet seen any additional updates come down through the wires. Um, The political fallout for Mr. McCarthy's ouster was immense. Republicans were once again labeled the party of obstruction and unwillingness to govern by their detractors and found many of their own publicly agreeing with that conclusion. The article concludes, If Mr. Johnson has successfully wrangled his party's far right wing, it is likely a sign of their own fatigue as much as it is an acknowledgment of his negotiation prowess. With the departure of both uh, McCarthy and his top aide Patrick McHenry, the House Republican majority is thinner than ever. A funding bill with the support of leadership in both parties will almost certainly pass, but the path remains almost impossibly narrow for the GOP to pass significant legislation without Democrats through the lower chamber going forward. So it remains to be seen if the Republicans are going to heed the warning uh, or and if they are going to try and burden uh, any of the twelve appropriations bills with uh, you know other things on their you know wish list that they wish to have, what uh, Mr. Jeffries called you know poison pills, um, it will it will behoove us the voters to reach out, particularly if your um, U.S. representative, your House of Representatives member. Uh, is Republican, that you reach out uh, immediately, early and often, and let them know that you do not want to see a government shutdown, that they need to pass uh, these 12 appropriations bills as they are. If there is additional items that they need to deal with legislatively, they need to bring those as separate items, not tied to uh, the, the funding package, uh, it, it is in the, the worst interest of all if uh, either of the government shutdowns, one is slated to happen as early as the 19th of January. And then the second one is slated, which is a larger one because it impacts larger uh, government agencies, uh, is slated for February 2nd. Uh, either of these would be uh, damaging. A, a shutdown over both of them would be devastating. Uh, we've already uh, come close to this in years past. Uh, we came to an agreement. The the House came to an agreement uh, with uh, former Speaker McCarthy uh, to avoid a government shutdown. You know, last year uh, this has been a known deadline for months. So the idea that we get here without uh, crossing the finish line should be unacceptable to every voter, regardless of party, uh, in the United States of America. So it is on us to communicate with our elected officials and let them know how we feel. All right. So what are your thoughts on this? Uh, what do you think about the the deal that's been reached? Uh, what are your thoughts on what happens if Donald Trump is not successful in his bid to regain the White House. Send an email to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com. I'd love to get your thoughts and opinions, uh, whether you agree with me or agree with the show or disagree, particularly if you disagree, come to think of it. uh, Let me know what you think, firedupradio at yahoo.com. I I wanna hear your comments, reach out, uh, get involved with the show. Uh, If you've got really cogent points, I will definitely include them in the next podcast that we do. All right. With that being said, everybody, please stay safe. Remember, the new COVID variant is out and it is a monster. Uh, It is growing and spreading rapidly. So, unfortunately, whether you like it or not, you really should mask up uh, to keep yourself and your family safe. That's going to do it. Everybody, please stay safe, and I look forward to having conversations with you again in seven days.